Good morning. Um, if you have a Bible, please take it and turn to James chapter 5, verse 12. We'll begin in today. James chapter 5, verse 12. Open that on a Bible app, uh, paper Bible, whatever you got. If you don't have it in front of you, it will be on the screen here in just a second. Hope you are doing well. It is, uh, it is summertime for sure, isn't it? At least getting there. Kids are getting out of school. Trousdale County kids are like ecstatic because they're out. Parents are probably living with trepidation because they're home, okay? I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. But it is good to be with you this morning and to open God's Word. We're going to continue in our series. We're almost done. We've gone verse by verse through the book of James. We're at the very end here, and this is the, con- the concluding part of James. And he gives us two. He gives us three big commands here we have at the end that he's trying to get these Christians to understand, and he's finishing up, concluding his letter, and it starts off with this. It says that the two things are, let your mouth be full of truth, and let your life be characterized by prayer. That's how he, ends, that's how he begins to end this letter, and if you want to see that, we're going to begin in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Are you with me this morning, everybody okay? All right, let's go to God's Word. Let's read this together. James 5, verse 12 says this, but above all, my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing a song of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so there's really just two, in in these last verses, we're going to cover the last two verses next week. And these, these last verses of the book of James, he really impresses upon us the, the notion that our mouths need to be full of truth and our lives need to be full of prayer. Our mouths need to be full of truth, and our lives need to be full of prayer. And the truth aspect is seen, the fact that we should let our, our mouth be full of truth is seen in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear. Now, immediately, when we think of swearing, you're thinking of what you did when you stepped on a Lego last night, Okay? or what at least you felt like doing, or when you stubbed your toe. The swearing referred to here is not using four-letter words or obscenities. It's the idea of swearing that you will do something, like kind of like pinky promise. Have you ever done one of those or, you know, any of those type things? It's that, it's that I promise, I swear enough, I swear on this, I swear on the lives of my kids, I swear this, that this will be true. So James says, above all, do not swear, not use profanity, although the Bible does talk about keeping our speech holy. It's not talking about that, but it's talking about making an oath. And it says, don't swear, or a peaky promise, if you will, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Just let your yes be yes and 
No, be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And James is taking a page right out of the Jesus handbook. Because Jesus would say this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37, this is what Jesus said. He says, again, you have heard it said, you have heard what it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or its throne of God, or by earth or its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jesus said, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So what's, the, what's Jesus really getting at? What is, a po- what is, what is James really getting at? What, what does that mean to not swear an oath? Well, some Christians have taken it to a hyper extent, and they won't even swear an oath. They won't even testify in court under oath because they think, well, that's swearing under oath. You know, you, they give you the Bible and you put your hand on it. But if you've not been in court, you've probably seen Law and Order before. Dunk, dunk, you know, and and you know what happens? They swear you in before the trial, and you put your right hand on the Bible and you said, "Do you solemnly swear to tr- sell, tell the truth?" And they said, "Yes, I do tell, swear to tell the truth." Some Christians have taken these verses so far as to say, "I'm not going to do that." Swear no oath ever. I think that misses the point, though. And the point here in both James and Jesus' teaching is, is this. Let your mouth be so, full, be so filled with truth and, and pe- let people know that you will keep your word, that you don't have to swear an oath. It's kind of the idea that we've got moved away from now. Everybody wants a contract. You have to sign contracts for everything. Okay, you sign contracts to download music on iTunes. You know that like big disclaimer at the end that you have to check box on, or you buy something from Amazon, you got to check that box that says it's basically you're signing your life away. I'll never sue the company. You know what I'm talking about? The little thing at the end is like check. I sign this contract that we'll keep, you'll keep your side of the business. I'll keep mine. And it used to be, you know, talk, people talk about it way back in the day. A handshake, my word is my bond. That is exactly what Jesus is pointing back to. That believers in Jesus should not be those people that have to swear an oath, but that their mouth and their lives are so seasoned with truth and they're faithful people that oaths are oaths and other things like that are not part of something we need to do because our yes is yes and our no is no. You know those people that you can set your set your watch by, right? Whether that's with punctuality, like they, they, if you tell, there's some people, you tell them what time to be there, they're there, okay? And you know, if you tell them that, they're going to be there. And if they're not there, you know something horrible must have happened, right? Because that person's always punctual. Well, what are you going to do? Do you have to like, are you, you, do you have to call that person, remind them, text them 40 times? No, what do you do? You just know, okay, they're faithful, they're going to be there. And that is the way that, that I think that's what James is getting at. He says, you don't have to swear an oath or make pinky promises or make sure you're going to tell me the truth or sign a contract if you are the, one of those people that just keeps their word and does what they said they're going to do. I just want, this is just, this is a free bit of life advice, and this goes farther. This goes, it's deeper. Telling the truth and being a faithful person goes deeper than just life advice, you know, just the surface to make your life better. But I, wanted, I want you to know something. If you start being a person who is faithful and true, Things work out better for you. It just it's just it. It is. I mean, one of the one of the, the greatest ministry lessons I have ever learned from people is 
to follow up and return phone calls. And if you say you're going to do something, do it. Like if you're going to pray for somebody, like don't you, you ever have, have you ever done that before? Pray for me. Okay. And then what did you do? Probably didn't pray for him. Okay. I, I, I've done that a bunch of times. Yeah, I'll pray for you. It's kind of like the token. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, I was challenged, I've been challenged by many pastors of faith. Pray right then because you will forget it. Man, I forget to tie my shoes regularly. Man, I forget all sorts of things, okay? You can ask my, if you want to know how forgetful I am, just talk to my wife. I forget what I'm doing. I walk in rooms like, what was I going to do in here, okay? That's a regular occurrence, but this is the situation is that, that being faithful and true in your words, it, it means so much. And here, as believers in Jesus, for us to have truth in our mouths and to, to do what we say we're going to do, that is, that is an example of Christ in us. And so he, James here, wants us to have our mouths filled with truth. He says, above all, my brothers, so this is a high point. This is kind of the crescendo, uh, beginning of the crescendo, the end of, of this letter. And he says, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any oath under the earth, but let yes be, your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Our words can't condemn us. And so I want to just encourage us to be, to be people that when we say we'll do something, we will do it. When we say no, it means no. When we're with those people, that people can trust our words. Now, there's a joke that goes on amongst my nieces and nephews. I don't know if you get this. I, you might pick this up, and if I, you know, we've hung out any time, I like to pick on people, okay, in a fun way. Okay, I'm not one of those ones that you're like, ha, ha, look at you. You got a mole on your face. Not, not that kind of like, ha, ha, you look dumb. But, you know, like just, just to mess with somebody. Like, for example, um, I, I would tell people that words were pronounced differently and try to get a bunch of people to, like, agree with me. You know, like, the word, like a word like elephant was actually, actually pronounced elefante, okay? And I would get other people to go along and, like, go up to this person and say, hey, the elephant is actually pronounced elefante, okay? And they would go around and they would say that. Does anybody like to do that? Does it, am I the only weird person in the world? I just love, especially, like, when they're hanging out with teenagers or something, just, like, just to mess with them, you know? And uh, say, like, I got a fake leg, you know, and just walk around like you got a fake leg for a while. You know, something like that, just to, just to mess with somebody. I love doing stuff like that, and it has come, a kind of a joke has happened uh, amongst all my nieces and nephews, like, the joke is don't ever listen to, don't ever take what he says seriously, unless he has a Bible in his hand, okay? So maybe I violated this, but I think it's all tongue-in-cheek type stuff, because they, 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 they know that I'm going to pick on them and mess with them. I'm going to tell them, you know, you know, some ridiculous fact and try to get them to believe it, and that's just a joke. But can you imagine if you say you're going to do something and you don't do something and you, you, you make promises and you don't keep them, your character reflects the God you serve. And James's concern for these Christians who are ongoing a lot of difficult times is to make sure that their speech is true. It's full, it's full of truth. That people don't have to wonder about you and whether or not you are following the truth, or whether or not your word means what it means. It's reflection on Christ in us, how we speak. 
Man, I think about that. That's, that's scary. We've already talked about this. James goes in James chapter 3, and he talks about the tongue and how vicious it can be and how it can be a world of iniquity and how a, a, a horse can be moved by just a small rudder in his mouth. That's like the tongue. Or not rudder. Uh, bridle, sorry. The, the boat's the rudder, okay? A big boat can be moved by a small rudder. And so he talks about the mouth and how dangerous our speech is. And it's also dangerous, not just that we could slander people, or it's also very imperative that our speech be true. Because we are trying to speak truth to people. If they can't believe us, they can't believe the truth that we're trying to tell them about who Christ is. I wanna, this, this, is this seems basic, and we tell kids all the time that they, we want them to speak, we, to be truthful, tell me the truth. That doesn't end there. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person as a Christ follower whose mouth is filled with truth. And then secondly, let be a person, let your life, Christian, be characterized by prayer in all sorts of situations. In verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? So he's going to go through some life situations. So is anyone suffering? We don't know how this suff- we don't know exactly what this suffering could mean. It could refer to physical suffering, and definitely I think it does refer to that because in just a moment he's going to talk about um, praying for sick folks, weak folks. And so that, that is something that's definitely there, but suffering could be on a psychological scale. Suffering could be any number of things. You can suffer and be whole physically. And you can suffer in so many different ways. Relationally, you can suffer from, from loss. You can suffer all sorts of ways. And so he says, if any of you are suffering, pray. That's the imperative. That's the command there. Let him pray. If you're suffering then pray. Secondly, he goes on and says, is anyone cheerful? So we got one life situation of suffering, and then we got pretty much, it seems like the opposite of that, is anyone cheerful? You know what cheerful is. It's happy. Is anyone having a good day? Is anyone experiencing the blessings of God? Is anyone having one of those days where you woke up and you didn't have to have that alarm go off. Okay, one of those wake-up days, you know what I mean? Not the or your cell phone in your ear or whatever, going off 12 times, you snooze it. It's one of those days where you, you, you wake up like, oh, okay? Like if it would have been a Disney movie, like birds would have come in the door, okay? And engulf you, all right? Like, oh, I mean, is any of you, are you cheerful? Have you had a, a, is stuff going well in your life? What does it say here? It says, let him sing praise. Now, man, we're talking about prayer, and this is going to singing. You should have added some points to your message. Well, I, I, I agree. You could probably, I could probably add a lot of things, okay? I, I understand that. I'll work on it, all right? But what I'm, what, this idea of singing, it actually comes from this idea of singing praise. The word here has the connotation of singing psalms. You know what we're talking about? Psalms, right? Go back to the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. There's 150 psalms, songs that are been who were in, that were inspired by God and have been collected in the Old Testament for us, okay? And the Psalms have been such rich literature for Christians and even before that for the for the Jewish people who tried to honor and serve God. The Psalms have so many different things. They have the heights of joy and they have the depths of despair. They have just just overwhelming love in them and then they have just border I mean just just vehement anger towards enemies. 
The Psalms have this great spectrum of human emotions covered, and they're all related to God. And so if you're in a cheerful mood, he says, then sing to the Lord, sing Psalms. Now, I don't know about, as we approach the prayer topic, many of you probably rolled your eyes this morning, and you're like, oh, great. we got another message about prayer. I am going to go home. I'm going to sit here, be made to feel guilty about how little I am praying, and then go home and try to pray, and then fail, and then feel more discouraged, then eat some Girl Scout cookies to make myself feel better, and, and after that, try it again. There's a great article that I, I recently read, which I think just hits the nail spot on. The, the, the title of the article, and you can go find this on DesiringGod.org. Um, it's, a, it's called, Your Prayer Life is Better Than You Think. Dude, that, I click that in a second. Like, okay, don't lie to me, but I got to see what this is, okay? And in it, he talks about how one of the famous reform, reformers, John Calvin, how he looked and viewed singing as, in many cases, as prayer. And if you, think, if you get right down to it, many of the so-called prayers we see in the Psalms, they're songs of prayer. And singing and prayer go hand in hand. In fact, many of our songs, some of them exhort one another, okay? Like we're calling each other to action, okay? We're calling each other to, to, to think about the church. We're calling each other to think about, think about God. That's some of them, okay? But some of our, most of our songs are directed towards God, and really, they're prayers. They're prayers of praise. They're prayers of thanksgiving. They're prayers of so many ways, and they help us focus our prayer. Have you had a problem with that? I have a problem with that. I have a problem with staying focused. And so singing is, in some regards, singing worship is, some, is, is prayer. Like we just sang, lead me to the cross where your love poured down. What are we saying? Open up my eyes, Lord, and so that I can see the cross and see what you've done for me, and so that I might live differently. If that's not a prayer, I don't know what is. And so some of you here, there's an exhortation for you, okay, is to sing songs of prayer. So if you struggle with prayer, maybe one way to focus you in praying is to begin by singing songs of praise. Now, some of you are thinking, have you ever heard me sing? I don't know, I hadn't heard you pray either, some of you, okay? I mean, just because you're not very, at least you don't think you're good at it, doesn't mean you can't do it, right? And if you think, some of you, if you get in the thing, because, you know, I'm, I worked with teenagers for a while, and some of them are too cool to sing, I don't sing. And some of you guys or gals are like, have you ever heard me sing? Okay, birds fall out of the sky and try to kill themselves when I sing. I mean, it's bad. Just do an experiment. Put on journeys don't stop believing in your car and see if you don't sing. Don't stop believe. I mean, you are embarrassing yourself. <laughs> I saw one of the teenagers from, from the youth group the other day, and I'm singing the song in the car just being dumb. It wasn't Don't Stop Believing, which I wish was on because that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, I'm just singing. And the kid <laughs> waves at me, and then he sees what I'm doing, and he's like, 
<laughs> he puts his hand down. And I was like, that's the Amy look. I've embarrassed myself completely. And he's like, hey, oh, I'm not that guy. But just if you think, I can't sing, I don't sing, put on Journey, baby, and see if you're not, don't stop believing at the top of your lungs. You're feeling like that small town girl living in a lonely world. And I want you to hear this from me and hear this more importantly from the scriptures. It says, are you cheerful? Sing songs of praise. And so, really, those songs that we're going to get to sing, I'm going to get to go to youth camp with the kids soon. And we're going to get to sing effervescent songs of faith because many of them are just starting their faith journey. They're just, they're just coming to know Jesus. They know that, ex- that exuberance of life and, that, and of faith. And we're going to get to sing some songs that are just, just declarations of that. And sometimes we're going to get to sing songs, and, and we do it at church, songs of, of deep pain in which we talk about. And, and we, we, we sing to the Lord, like, help us in our despair. We've lost this. There is a way to help us to pray, and it's a way we're commanded to. We are commanded to sing in the Bible. And so if you're struggling with prayer, I want to encourage you, go get your Spotify playlist on. Go download some music. If you got to, go get a CD. If you're really old school, find a tape deck. If you're super old school, get an 8-track, okay? Whatever you got to do to just start that process of singing as prayer to God. And God, I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, the whole reason, you know, if you think about some of these songs, we're just, we need those things. And we need, to, we need that focus, too. The song has the, the, it has the verses and the chorus and the bridge, and it focuses us as we pray. So I'm not saying when we sing together, it's a form of prayer. It's also, we're obviously lifting up God high, and it's, it's huge to pray together, and it's huge to sing together because we're lifting God high, and we're praying at the same time as we're doing that. Secondly, man, we live in a, an age where we have no excuse not to be able to sing. Because even if you can't sing, you could sing. You feel like you can't, like it's not good, okay? It's like just not good coming out of your mouth. You could crank that volume up so loud that only the Lord hears you, okay? And that, that can revolutionize our prayer life. And also, what does it do? Is, have you ever been to that place where you just get to, maybe you're just tired or maybe you don't know what to pray? And you just kind of... I don't even know what to say. Well, sometimes go to the Psalms, because here we t- he's talking about actually singing Psalms. So maybe you go there, and maybe you don't sing them, but maybe that's where you get your heart ready to pr- for praise. Maybe, man, when you're feeling down, you find some, some, some of those songs that glorify God and have deep prayers, and you put that on. And it says, if, if you, any of you are suffering, pray, and if you are cheerful, sing. It is amazing how God has designed us to worship him through song and how deeply it can affect us and how deeply it can move us spiritually. If you want an example of the fact of, of, of something God created for his worship and we see that it's supposed to be for worship, but we also see how, how the world can take it a different way, just go to any concert. We, my wife and I went to go see, a long time ago, Cindy Lauper. That was not my call. That was out of love, okay? You know, girls just want to have fun. So we went there, okay, to the Cindy Lauper concert at the Ryman. At the end, she started singing True Colors. You know, the song, Let Your True Colors Come Shining Through. There were people that stood up to their feet and raised their hands in the air like they were worshiping. And I was just like... We are created for more. 
You want to worship, but you want to worship yourself because let my true colors come shining through. We're made for more. And this exhortation at the end is if you are joyful, sing. Sing to the Lord. I don't care if it's awful. He doesn't care. Sing to the Lord. Lift up a song of praise. If you're having problems praying, come to songs as worship and as, as prayer. This is just a helpful thing. And I, I'm thankful for that article. If you want to read it, it's, it's January 25th, 2015 when the article came out. It's called The Prayer Life is Better Than You Think. And it is a, a great way to, to point us back to helping us with prayer because so often all we do is just beat ourselves up and we don't ever look for ways in which we can go after God. So I just want to encourage you there. So what is our mouth should be full of truth. Our life should be characterized by prayer in all situations. And he talks about this, and he goes on, in, going down into verse 14, he says then this, is anyone among you sick? I mean, this is written thousands of years ago, but it could go to any congregation anywhere at any time. Is there anyone sick in the room? Yes. Guarantee you. There's somebody, at least, if, if nothing right now, many of us are fighting off allergy problems from the pollen, okay, that is just massively deadly, okay, all right? You know, you see those trees blooming. Some people see beauty. I see death, okay, death via allergies. And so, is anyone sick? And there's some severe illnesses that would be a part of any congregation because of our fallen state. And, and as we wait the consummation of the age, the coming of Christ, there will be sickness and suffering amongst the people of God. So what does, what does he call us to do here? What does James call us to do? He says, if anyone is among you sick, here's what you do. Let him call the elders of the church. Now, I want to be clear of something. There's a reason that we have elders here at, at the Journey Church, because the Bible, it seems that most every church um, had elders or pastors. In fact, the, the, the word pastor only appears a handful of times in the New Testament. That usually is the primary way we talk about the person who gets up and teaches God's Word, and that's not a wrong thing to do. But it's actually in First Peter that we have the idea of the pastor as the shepherd, okay, or as the, the elder as the shepherd. But the Bible describes the people that are, 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 are called and are to lead a church, and they are called elders or overseers or pastors. And each, if you go look in, in the New Testament, in, in, in most every situation, the churches were led by not one person, one pastor, but by a group of pastors known as elders, overseers, or pastors. And this group was responsible for the spiritual health of the church and leading the church and that, that type of thing. And so what we see here is saying, is any one of you sick, let him call the elders, the leaders of the church, those who have been called out, separated for the task of leading. And in each congregation, there would be a plurality of them. There would be several of them. And so he said, call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so, the, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing psalms. If any of you are sick, what do you do? You go back to prayer. And this prayer is a praying together, but it's a prayer you ask, calling on God to bring the spiritual leaders forward, have somebody who's sick have, be prayed over and be anointed with oil. Now, that anointing with oil can get a little bit, it, it gets a little sketchy in the sense of 
people have taken this in wild directions. The Catholics took this verse, and they have come up with one of their, their rites, their, their sacraments, which would be the final unction, okay, which would be as someone was dying, they would anoint them with oil and prepare them to give them grace and washes away sin for the life that is to come. And, and that is a theological, that, that's, that's way too many theological jumps to get to that one. Some people have, have seen oil and water. You may have done this if you may see some uh, televangelist or somebody who says, I put my hands in this, I bless this, and now this particular, the water or the oil, now has some kind of saving properties that if you put it on yourself, it will help you. Now, we don't see anything like that in the Bible. That sounds like hocus pocus, okay? Like hocus pocus, now it's something else. But what really is happening here, in fact, we did this most recently, we did this recently here at the church. Um, somebody was ill. They approached the elders and asked us to pray for them, and we anointed them with oil. What is anointing with oil? What does that look like? What does that mean? Especially understanding that, that there's no significance of power in the oil. In fact, the person that I, we anointed, I, I brought the oil from my house, and it was great value olive oil, okay? And I was like, this is from my house, okay? Uh, so there's nothing special. We didn't get around and, like, you know, you know, dance around it or pray, like, Lord, make this oil help this person, okay? What we, what we think it is, what we see in the Scriptures, I think, and, and, and understand this properly, is the oil is meant to set people apart. Look, think about King David when he was anointed king. What happened? Put the oil on him. It represented something, and it was a setting apart. And so the real issue here, and what he's talking about is not that you need oils or ointments or holy water to help you in your time of suffering. What are you supposed to do? Pray. Prayer is the key, the prayer of faith. And so what is being asked or what is being commanded for these people to do, especially if they are sick, is to gather the leaders of the church, get them together, single out this person, lay hands on the person who is ill, anoint, put oil on their head, not that there's anything salvific or helpful or anything magical or ultra-spiritual about that oil, but it's a sign and a symbol that we are setting this person apart, setting this person apart in our prayers, and we're praying specifically right now for God to heal them. There's probably also a symbolic nature to that as well, in which we, and just because it's symbolic doesn't mean that it has something weird, like the Lord's Supper, it has a symbol, right? We don't believe that these elements, they stay juice and they stay bread. We don't believe they change into anything. We don't believe they infuse grace into you. We believe that though, we, when we do it, though, it is a, it is a movement of God's grace because we think about what Christ has done, and we think about the fact that we're all one body and we're all partaking of, of his body and blood, and that's the only way we have for Christ. In the same manner, when we anoint someone with oil, we, it, back in that day, oil was a medicine in many regards. In fact, do you remember the do you remember the parable of Good Samaritan? What happens? The guy the, the the person's attacked and the Samaritan stops and he puts oil on his wounds. That was considered a type of medical procedure there. And so maybe it has even in the faintest ideas here, putting the oil on there represents setting apart and it, it points us to the fact that hey, set apart for healing. And so this is not something that that happens all the time, but it is something that is definitely called for in Scripture. If there's someone suffering with illness and sickness, it's very, it's okay to 
contact the elders and get us together to pray for you. Now, it would get a little, we'd run out of oil, and it would get a little redundant if it was like you got the sniffles and did it, you know? Okay, we, we wouldn't be making, you know, it'd be hard for us to make house calls like a doctor, you know, if you get, I got a cold. But a long-standing illness or something like that, because why? I mean, because God's called myself, Tom, and Kevin to care for the souls of the people who are here. And part of that is mind, body, and spirit. And so that is... Are you sick? Well, go to the doctor, yes, but also we know healing is ultimately, it comes from God. It comes from whether he gives the doctors the knowledge and the, me- and the knowledge to make the medicines that can cu- cure you, but ultimately, you, how many times have you seen the situation where all the medicines should work and it's not working? The Lord is sovereign over all of it. And so come, let us pray in this time. So that's completely something we can do. Secondly, look in verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith. Now this gets a little, this gets, uh, there's another tough one for us. In verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and it will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 15 excuse me, verse 15 here talks about praying for one another, and also it talks about the efficacy of prayer, that prayer works. And this is is interesting, okay? It says what? It says that the, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That sounds like a pretty big declaration. If you pray for the person who is sick, God will heal them and raise them up, save them and raise them up. This is talking about physical healing. And immediately we go, well, I've I've prayed for people who were sick, and they didn't get any better. What? Is this this right? Well, of course, it's God's Word. It has to be right. Maybe something was wrong with my prayer. Maybe I didn't have enough faith when I was praying. And we know faith is important to prayer. But a lot of times, especially those people who talk about faith in a way of like, you have, you know, you believe it, you'll get it, you know, believe it and see it. That's not Bible faith, guys. Bible faith is trusting in the person of God. And that it's not trusting that you'll get something. It's not faith in faith, not faith in achievement or faith in I believe it, therefore I'll get it. There's not, the positive aspect is not in you believing, but it's about the object of your faith. And so when he says that we'll save and we'll raise up, every time we pray, do you know what we're really doing? We are coming as needy beggars. I don't know about that. What are you talking about? I don't don't feel that way. you ever heard the, the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes? You ever heard that before? Why? Because everybody cries out in the middle of a battle for that. I also believe there's no atheists in ER rooms. Because how many times, if many, even people that, don't, people that don't pray, don't even they would give a semblance to God, they're calling, and they're like, help, like, pray for me. Or some of them that won't say pray, send good vibes my way. Like, that'll help. Good vibes, okay? Mmm feeling happiness to you. That's insanity, okay? Just straight insanity. 
what goes on here is when we come to prayer, we are coming as children who can't do it, beggars who have nothing, and saying, God, please heal. God, please work. God, please end the suffering. God, please this. And so when we come, we are coming to a sovereign God with nothing in our hands. And we are also coming, especially with those of us who know the Lord, we are coming with, and it's implicit in every one of our prayers, that will be done. You know it is. If you're following him, you know that every prayer that you have, God, heal this person if it's your will is underneath there. You know why? Because at the core of faith, we, what, what faith really is and what praying in faith is, is trusting that God will give us what we need. Because he is good, and he is right, and he is just, and he knows better than we do. He sees the end before we even reached it. Our God is a sovereign, huge, good God, and when we pray, God heals. And I think what James is saying here is that God will save, God will heal, he works through prayer. And every time we pray, we should pray boldly, but we also, we pray with that understanding if it's your will. That's what he's getting at. He's just trying to impress upon them that God works through prayer and he will save through prayer. That means that the Lord works through prayer in a way we don't understand and the Lord works through our prayers to heal people. Secondly, I want you to see this in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save those who are sick and will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, he goes from praying for sick people to talking about this, that, that if somebody has committed sin, they will be forgiven. And then he talks about, therefore, confess your sins to one another. So there, let's, let's, let's put this out here, okay? In one sense, there are some illnesses or sickness that are caused by our sin. You want, there's other places in which that you see that in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, people were not coming to the Lord's Supper correctly. They were using it for different means. They were excluding other people. They were getting drunk off the wine they had at, at the Lord's Supper. It's a very weird thing to think about, especially since we have the little tiny grape juice in the bread. But they used to have a big meal with it, and so people were being excluded, and some people were invited to the feast and other people were not. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is some of them are getting sick and some of them are dying because of the sin. So there is one sense in which sickness is related, like you can be made sick because of sin. Secondly, though, we know that that's not always the case. In fact, remember John chapter, John chapter 9 where Jesus comes on the man born blind, and Jesus' disciples ask him, hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And what did Jesus say? It wasn't sin. It was so that the power of God might be displayed in this man. He was made blind, sick, so that the power of God could be seen. I, want, I mentioned this to know this, that, some, that the Lord, if you're sick, it might be because of sin. Now, this is not for you to try, because I know some of you, some of you that are riddled with guilt all the time, the next time you get the sniffles, <laughs> you're going to list everything you've ever done wrong and say, this has got to be because of that. That is not what James is getting at. I think sickness is a great time for us to examine our lives and hearts and the Lord gives it. Because I want you to know something. 
If you're a believer in Jesus and the sickness was caused by your sin, that sickness is not for your condemnation. You know why? Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you know what it's for? It's for your holiness. And he's disciplining you. And he's going to make you more like him through it. Even when we mess up, he is working for our good. Secondly, I want you to know this. It might not be because of that. It might be that God is trying to display his glory in your sickness. I remember at the end of my time at seminary, I don't know what happened. I think it was the fact that there's never any sunshine in Louisville, Kentucky. It just, like, never happens. It was gray forever. I think we were touching Indiana, and that's what was problem, the problem was, you know. It was like, like it was gray for, like, seven, 70 months out of a 50, you know, <laughs> after a 12-month year. It was always gray. And at the end of my time there... I got this respiratory deal, and I could not kick it, and I always felt like I was gasping for air, and I could not do the things that I usually would do, and it really just kicked my buttocks to the curb. And I learned so much from that. I learned so much about how frail my life was, how I thought I could do it all, how I was, I was in my 20s, and I could stay up all night, stay up 48 hours and write a paper, and then it was like, you're a person! Can't... <laughs> do that. The Lord works in those situations. So I want you to see this, that he says that if it, it, it says as you're praying for this person and praying for their illness, it says this, and he's convinced of its truthfulness, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Our prayers help turn those who are wayward back. Have you ever seen, you know that, you ever run into that person, you're like, yeah, they'll never be here. <laughs> They're not going to darken that door. Well, there's a lot of people in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, who murdered Christians, and what happens? Jesus meets him and moves him. What happens with prayer? God moves, and he could turn that person who is wayward, that Christian, who, that, that person who claims faith, but it's gone away. God could turn him and bring them back. In fact, he'll talk about that later. I want you to get this, that the Lord, will, the Lord uses our prayers to help other people be convicted of sins and move them away from that. And then it also goes on to say this in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you might be healed. This, this goes against our culture. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. But what do we try to do? We try to do the Adam and Eve act where we try to cover our shame with our fig leaves, Okay. I look good. It's like when, you, when you're in the, I've mentioned this a bunch of times because it's so true. You're in the car. Everybody, you're like, it's like Sunday morning. You're coming to church to worship, okay? And the kids are like, ah, okay? They got markers, and they're like, I ate my breakfast, and I threw the ball in the toilet. And you're like, get in the car, okay? You're yelling at everybody, and then you walk in the door. Hello, brother. How are you? You may have been to those places, you've been to those churches where everybody looks perfect. You see that person's Instagram and their kids are cool and they're eating non-GMO stuff and organic and it's just like, and they got it all together and they're waking up in the morning and it's like, it's like they're in the Disney cartoon, like everything's together. They can eat whole pizzas and not gain weight and you're over there like, oh my gosh, you feel like a beach whale. You're just trying to get the flapper over. <laughs> Thank you, you're here. You're just doing whatever you can, and you're just, so, and, and the Bible says you're not okay. And that person's lying. 
Confess your sins. That's, that's another command here. It's related to prayer is confessing our sins to one another. Not in a way where you're like, oh, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, keep sinning. Good for you. Let me help you with that. That's not what it's like. It's, I am struggling with this. I need you to know this. I need you to pray for God's grace in my life. I need you to help me with this. And what does that do? It creates a level of transparency and a, le- a level of real people that are affected by sin and its consequences but have a living hope in a God who can change them through the power of the Spirit that indwells us. And that, that is, that's the aim, is to not be perfect, but to strive after the one who is perfect. And part of that is confessing our sins to one another. Not trying to hide, not trying to put up our social media face where we look like we have it together, but to confess our sins to one another. And then what does it say? In the end of the verse, in verse 16, it says this, that you might be healed. Oftentimes, spiritual Healing can be related to our physical healing. Not all the time. Jesus used physical symbols to help relay spiritual realities. Our physical ailments can cause us to think about the spiritual realm. And that is something we need to understand that these are not unrelated things. Like we are a composite person. We have a body and we have a spirit. And we all components relate to this. And so in every situation, James is calling us back to prayer, authentic prayer, confessing, confession of sin, confessing it one another, belief, prayer that believes that God will answer the prayer if it's his will. Knowing, not vacillating, not going back and forth, but knowing that he will answer the prayers, not knowing exactly how it works, but praying, Lord, do this. Also asking, imploring other people to pray for us. Not just praying so that you can give them, or giving prayer requests, you can give them the most recent information in your life, but asking someone to really pray that God would be gracious to them. And there is something great about praying together and praying for one another in the Bible. There can be turning from sin that's involved. Healing can be involved with praying for one another. And then it says, and it gets down to verse 16 at the end of it, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Another translation could be, the effective prayer of the righteous is very mighty and powerful. Some of us who strongly believe in the sovereignty of God can get to a point where we say, well, if God knows everything and God is all-powerful in everything, then why should I pray to Him and ask, will it change the heart of God, will it change the mind of God? we get to a place where we see prayer as kind of an empty shell. It's kind of like a shell game and a kind of a fake thing, kind of something, yeah, we should do it, but I don't see the, the power in it. <laughs> the Bible, which is supremely about the sovereignty of God, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's really in there a lot. Regularly calls his people to fervent prayer about things that are impossible, and, he, and it says here that the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of one who is, who is in Christ, it has great power to it. And it gives the example of 
Elijah here in verses 17 and 18, or verses, yeah, 17 and 18. It says, Elijah, this comes out of 1 Kings 17 18. Remember the Old Testament prophet Elijah? He was a man with a nature like ours, and he's pointing out this way. Elijah was nothing special apart from God's Spirit being in him and being upon him. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a human being, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What is the point? Prayer from a righteous person does a whole lot. It's super powerful. In fact, God works through the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. That is craziness. God works through our prayers to accomplish his purposes. Our prayers are massively effective, and I want you to know this. Some, some of you right now are trying to add up all of the numbers to see how the sovereignty of God fits in with prayer. I want you to know something. When you were 16 years old and you got your driver's license and you were handed the keys to a car, you worked for that car, did you know how a combustion engine worked? Did you know how gasoline is, 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 is used? Do you know how many pistons your car has and, and how all of it came back? Do you know the history of, about cars and where they came from? Do you, did you know about the Model T? Did you know about Henry Ford? Did you know about any of those, those things when you got in the car? No, what did you do? You got in, turned that, turned that ignition switch, and you went. Why? Because car's fun. It drives. Okay? There's time for you to understand. Like, there's some things about God we are never going to completely get. He, and if we could, he's so vast. How could, you, how could you contemplate and understand how God works? His ways are not like ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He spoke and there was. He, completed compl- he, com- he made complex things out of, out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of squat. He made something. How could you say, yeah, I know, but the sovereignty of God, how is it? He told us to, and he told us it was effective, and just because I don't know how the engine works doesn't mean I can drive around. And so I'm, I'm asking you for this, not to, to not look theologically and delve into those things about, you know, how does sovereignty of God play in with prayer? I'm not saying don't look at that. What I am saying is this, at the end of the day, at the sum of the thing, it's basically going to be like this, we don't get it. But we have been told God uses our prayers, and he works through our prayers, and he, there's great power in our prayers. And Elijah called out to God, said, God, don't let it rain. And then part of God's sovereignty and using, Elijah, and, and using Elijah's prayer, what he says, he stopped the rain. And what happened? The rain began again. It was all for the glory of God. The prayer meant something. The sovereignty of God was over it all, how it all works together. I don't know if we'll ever know, but I want you to know this just because you don't know how it works doesn't mean you shouldn't use it or do it. I don't know how a plane gets off the ground. I know lift and thrust. I've heard that. But do you think about that? I get our big American butts up in the air in a giant piece of metal. It's insanity. There's science behind it, but just because you don't know how it works doesn't mean you don't get on the plane. You're pretty sure it works. Or you wouldn't be getting on the tube, the metal tube that goes in the air. I want to encourage us all to let our mouths be filled with truth and our lives be filled with prayer, knowing this, that God is sovereign to answer. And that we bring nothing with us to our prayers. But he 
works mightily through the prayers of a righteous person. I don't get it. But I call us all to get in the airplane. To be like Jacob when he wrestled with the angel. <laughs> Just get in there and wrestle with the Lord. Pray, ask him. Ask him if you if you are suffering, pray for pray for healing. Bring other people to pray for you. If you're joyful, pray the prayer of praise. Maybe sing. If you are in, if you are sick, wrestle with the Lord. Say, God, help me here. If there is someone who's turned and far from, from God in sin, wrestle with the Lord and say, Lord, save them, knowing this, that the Lord is glorified in answering our prayers. And he works through our prayers to accomplish his purpose in the world. And so when we pray, not only are we conforming our, our will to his and saying, thy will be done, but we are also joining him in his great work and giving him all the glory. We saw, we saw some people on the street corner in Lebanon trying to panhandle using the, the scheme, putting his family out there in the middle of a hot day and let the sun beat down on them and say, hey, need money. So obviously, Judson had explained to him, old boy had explained to him what was happening and why we didn't stop. Because we've seen those people before. We have seen what they've done with their money. We've seen how they've handled it. But then I got to, you know, we got thinking about it. And I don't think it was right or good for us to give it to him. But I do, I did think about this when I was talking to him because I didn't want him to get that hard heart. Some of us get that hard heart about beggars. Yeah, they're all going to be using it for that. And da, 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 da. I told him as I was beginning to talk to him, and I, I sounded kind of harsh at first, and I just wanted him to know. I was like, buddy, I don't ever want, I would rather you err on the side of being generous and kind and giving to somebody in need than the other way. And you should always be careful and mindful about not, because sometimes when you try to help, you hurt, especially if you're helping somebody who are going to use it for things they don't need. But what struck me struck my soul as as I was telling him it was this we are all beggars before the throne of grace we have nothing but he is generous and kind and he bestows blessings and all we need to do is ask ask in faith knowing he's good Knowing he's right, asking in the will of God, believing that he can do it, believing that he can save, believing that he will save if it's his will, but come to him. And I want to be a grateful beggar. And I pray for a church filled with grateful beggars coming to a sovereign God, asking, receiving for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are good. Your kindness is your love. You are patient with us. You are loving beyond understanding. You have called us to be people of truth, and you have called us to be people of prayer. God, I pray that these words today, and your word today, will call us to pray, not out of guilt, but out of joy. Lord, may we walk closer with you 
in prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, let's stand. And we're going to be dismissed with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, or 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Go in His grace. You're dismissed.